effect is. You know what that, what that looks like and how it works. I think we have a picture of that, but uh, maybe, maybe not. But anyway, there's a University of Toronto physics professor who, uh, his name is Stephen, Ma, uh, Stephen Morris, and he found that if you uh, continue to do something with dominoes, it's really cool. Now, we all know the domino effect with dominoes that are the same, but he started using he started using actually different size dominoes. He started with a five millimeter, I mean, so small of a domino that he had to use tweezers, this tiny little thing. And then he added 50% to each one, or about 50%. So in other words, when you got to the one inch domino, the next one was an inch and a half and so forth. And, uh, and he found, I think maybe we'll have a picture of it, but we, uh, he had his 13th domino, when he continued to make them 50% larger, the 13th one was um, about three and a half feet tall and weighed over 100 pounds. Now, if he continued that in his way of teaching his students in his physics class, the 29th domino, guess how big that would be? The 29th one was roughly the size of the Empire State Building. Now, he didn't, of course, build anything larger than the three and a half foot one, but when you do the math, that's what he found. And and of course, when a domino gets that big, if it were literally that big and standing there, there's no way you or I, a human being, could push it over. But what he found is if you get the first domino right, which literally took just a little breath of air, just a, I didn't even have to touch it, to knock it over, and then it knocked over the next and the next and the next, pretty soon it would get all the way to the place of knocking over the Empire State Building. It's an incredible um, uh, physics lesson that he taught us all. And it all begins with the first domino. So here's what I want to share with you today or have you think about today. And that is that Jesus wants to be that first domino in your life, in my life. He wants to be our first domino. If we get the first thing right, if we get first things first, if we keep them that way, then other things tend to take care of themselves or fall in line appropriately. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, when He said, But seek first His, referring to His heavenly Father, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. In other words, all the other dominoes will fall in line if you get first things first, if you keep first things first. He talked about it again in the next chapter in Matthew, chapter 7. He said it like this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's the first domino. Do it right. And then, he said, the rains can come, the streams can rise, the winds blow, beat against the house, and yet that house will not fall because it has a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and blew against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus wants to be your first domino. And if you get him right, if you get that right in your life, all kinds of things come uh, smoothly and naturally after that. Now, some of you have heard me talk about some of this before, the things I want to share with you today, so forgive me if I sound a little bit redundant. But I'll tell you this, uh, I was part of a group of 10 people that went to Dallas to a Right Now Media conference uh, not this last week, but the week before that, and uh, some other leaders from the church, and, and we were able to really enjoy hearing some incredible preaching. Boy, it's good to finally hear some good preaching, right? You know, it's 
what all those on that, that's what all those said that went with us. But anyway, it was fantastic. And I tell you what, I heard one particular guy named Chip Ingram share and speak about this concept, and it really, really fired me up. It, it reminded me of things we've talked about and that I've preached about before as well, but, but it still really helped me refocus and think about some foundational things that I want to share with you again today. And again, if you've heard it before, that's okay, because sometimes we need to be reminded of things we already know more than we need to be taught something brand new. So sometimes that might be what we're doing but um, Jesus wants to be your first domino. And let me tell you something else that you probably don't hear often, maybe you've never heard in, in church before, unless maybe you've heard me say it sometime in the past. But I would tell you this. Jesus does not want you to like him. What does that even, what are you trying to say, Pastor? Let me explain. Jesus does not want you to like him. And what I mean by that is this. Well, well let me explain it like this. How many of you... Um, how many of you like ice cream? All right, a lot of people. All right, how many of you like uh, the Denver Broncos? Some people don't, some people do. All right. How, yeah, okay, we got some booze. That's fine. How many, of you, how many of you like the Colorado Mountains? You know, you're thankful to live here. How many of you like uh, your dog? Okay, a lot of people. The Christmas season, there are lots of things like this that we all like. Now, how many of you would say or have said at different times, um, you use the word love in that sentence. I love, and then you fill it in with one of those, one of those things. You know, your dog, ice cream, the mountains, whatever, baseball, something like that. Well, if you say that, I would tell you, no, you don't. No, you don't. You might say that. I say things like that too, but I think we're wrong. I think we are incorrect when we say such things. I think we use the word love way too much. I think in our country, in our culture, in our use of the English language, we struggle to differentiate between a couple of concepts that we should delineate or distinguish between. I think that the feelings and the set of emotions and the level of commitment that you and I have for this should be different than this. In other words, the level of commitment and the feelings we have for our um, uh, favorite sports team, or for ice cream, or for our dog, or, or whatever, or the mountains, is one thing. But what we say and what we feel and our commitment level to our awesome uh, Almighty God should be something different. So I would say it's wrong. I mean, not like sinful, but I think it's in, in, incorrect, or, or it fails in terms of what it should accomplish when we use the word love in both areas. If you love ice cream and yet love Jesus, is that not kind of a weird thing to say that they're on the same level? So my thought, my perspective would be that I think we need to use that word carefully, the word love. I would tell you in my life, I think it really fits in four sentences. I love my wife. As she was up here playing the keyboard, I'm just so thankful for her. And I love her in so many different ways. I, as I've said many times, she's my favorite thing about planet Earth. There's a lot to enjoy and appreciate about this earth, but my wife is my favorite thing. I love her, uh, and I feel that same kind of love for my boys. My son, Garrett, who's on a leadership conference with some students from his school, and my other son who's in college and coming home Tuesday, and we'll get to see him for the first time in three months, and that's exciting. I love my boys. I love my forever family. I love you, my church family, and those that are yet to be part of it that God allows me or allows us to be in relationship together. You know, I love people. But most of all, above all the rest, I love my Lord and Savior Jesus, 
who gave his life for me. I love him because he first loved me. I get to love him. And I think we need to understand that there should be a difference in terms of how we say, what we say about this group of things versus what we say about this group of things. I would say, for the lack of a better definition, it really should be, the word love should be reserved for things that we would be willing to risk our life for, that we would be willing to give our life for. I would take a bullet for my wife, but not for the Denver Broncos, you know, not for even my dog. Now, maybe some of you might. If so, there's counseling that we can offer you later, but that's a whole separate issue. But anyway, we need to have a level of commitment an emotion for our Lord and Savior that is far greater and different than others, than all these other things. And I think we need to use words carefully in that respect. Jesus kind of talked about this concept of loving in Matthew chapter 22. Um, and by the way, I usually use the NIV, the New International Version. That's what I grew up memorizing out of and studying out of. Um, but sometimes I'll use a different version today. And like today, I want to use the SPV. You might not have heard of that. It's just Scott's paraphrased version. So, here it is. But basically, and we'll look at the NIV as well, but um, if, you're, if you turn to Matthew chapter 22, you can see this and follow along. But basically, a Pharisee who is a religious leader comes to Jesus and wants to trap him. The Pharisees, in, in large part, were not happy with Jesus because he threatened their power and their position, and so they were not happy with him, looking for ways to trap him. And so this Pharisee, knowing that there are over 600 laws in the Old Testament, over six, 613, I think, he knew that and so he thought, I'll trap Jesus with something I can use against him by getting him, you know, getting a quote from him that I can use against him. So he says, teacher, tell me, what is the greatest commandment of all these, you know, 613 laws? Tell me, what is the greatest? And Jesus looked at him and said, okay, I'll tell you the answer. In fact, I'll tell you two. You only asked for one, but I'll give you two. In fact, let me tell you this. If you get these two things right, if they're your first two dominoes, everything else is going to flow downstream from there just perfectly. Everything else will take care of itself is basically what he said. Here's how Jesus said it when he was asked the question. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. That is to love your neighbor, which means all of us. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then listen to how he said about the domino thing. This is how he worded it. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You get these two things right, and everything else will flow downstream from there beautifully. Jesus is saying, look, I want to be your first domino, and I want you to love me. Don't like me. I want you to love me. He explained that, that difference even more so in the last book of the Bible in Revelation 3 when he was talking to a group of people then. He said, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, lukewarm meaning that you like me rather than you love me. You just, you know, we're in the friend zone. You think I'm kind of cool. You like me, but it's not the same. That's not what I'm looking for. He said, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. The original language, pardon, it's, it's graphic, but he said the original language is, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said. Those are his words. That's not me talking. That's Jesus. I don't want you to like me, he says. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. Your first dominoes. So, recap. Help me out. First domino needs to be what? All right, to love him. All right, to love him. And actually, that, that's a trick question because that's what you should say based on what I've said so far, but that's really not the real answer. The truth is, that needs to be your second domino. Your first domino needs to be to know him because you cannot love him if you don't first know him. So you need to know him so as to love him, so as to be in a relationship with him. If you love him, he already loves you. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. So if you know him and then come to love him, you will naturally be in relationship with him. And so that's what he wants from us. And we see this playing out in the lives of some of the, many of the heroes of God's story, of the story, the Bible that we enjoy so much. Let me just share with you a couple of them. Look at Moses. Think about Moses. Moses is the guy that God used to lead the people out of Pharaoh's hand, out of the Egyptian slavery, into the promised land. And incredible things happen. You know, the whole crossing the Red Sea, the the scene with the Ten Commandments on the mountain, all kinds of beautiful, incredible stories that happened throughout Moses' life and his story. In the middle of that Ten Commandments thing, the, you know, it happened twice when God gave him the stone tablets and came down and saw that his brother Aaron had lost control and the people were worshiping, uh, had made a false god uh, out, of a ca- out of gold into the form of a calf and all that. Well, anyway, between that time when the tablets were broken a second time, Moses had an incredible conversation with God. He's talking with Almighty God. It's really awesome to imagine. To, I wish I could have been there to see and hear that. Anyway, but Moses and God are talking, and, God, and Moses says to God, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 13, he says to the Lord, he said, Lord, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may, what's the word? Know you know you and continue to find favor with you. I want to know you so I can find favor with you. I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. Moses understood that just like all the people that he'd been commissioned to lead, they could be given the Ten Commandments and 600 more laws and know all kinds of things about God, but knowing about God and knowing God are two separate things. And Moses didn't want to just know about God. He wanted to know Him, to know Him. He understood that, as Jesus would say generations later in Matthew 15 about the Pharisees, he's actually quoting Isaiah, but um, Jesus said about the Pharisees who knew all kinds of things about God. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Knowing God needs to be our priority. That's what Moses wanted. We need to learn from Moses and follow his example. How about another example? How about David? Think about him. You know David is the only person in Scripture called a man after God's own heart. Why is that? There are different thoughts about it. We are not told exactly why he was called that. Maybe it was because of his incredible courage. I mean, he fought Goliath as just a young youth after killing a lion and a bear before that. I mean, David was a very courageous man. Maybe that's why. Or maybe it's because of his incredible humility and respect for for what God had ordained. When King Saul became jealous of David and wanted to kill him, David, rather than taking advantage of an opportunity at one point in a cave and probably other opportunities as well, where he could have easily killed Saul and taken over the throne as king, he showed respect and restraint and honor for that position, even though Saul was not a God-honoring person any longer. 
David was incredibly humble and godly in so many respects. Maybe it's because of all the, the psalms that he wrote, his incredible heart for worship. Maybe it's because of his incredible repentant spirit. Remember that when he got lazy? When the other kings were off to war, David stayed home and was on his rooftop. And he, in that laziness, he lusted. He saw a beautiful naked woman and he lusted after Bathsheba. He called for her. He slept with her. They committed adultery. They conceived a child. He then chose to lie about that to try to cover his tracks. That didn't work. And so then he stooped all the way to the place of murder. He murdered Uriah, her husband, for the sake of covering all this up. Terrible. But then when he was confronted with it, he repented in an amazing way. And Psalm 51 is a beautiful psalm that he wrote about, oh, dear God, forgive me, was the essence of it. Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Cast me not away from your spirit, but restore, your, 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 uh, restore steadfast love in me for you. Maybe these are the reasons that David was called a man after God's own heart. But I think, I think more than anything else, it's because of things he wrote like this. In Psalm 27, when he said this, One thing, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him, or that could be translated to know Him in His temple. Similarly, in Psalm 63, he said in a prayer to Almighty God, he said, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek You. I seek You. I thirst for You. My whole being longs for You in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Knowing David was, knowing God, I mean, was David's first domino. That's what he wanted more than anything else. He talked about how like a deer pants for water, that's what he, he longed to know and be in relationship with God more than anything else. We need to learn from David. We need to learn from Moses. Those are a couple of Old Testament, out of many, 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 many characters. Those are two. Let me give you a couple out of the New Testament. Think about Paul, the apostle, who was persecuting the church, who was Saul, and before his incredible dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, Saul, after that point, became Paul, and, and he wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, roughly half of the New Testament. Pretty incredible thing, but he gave up virtually everything, a life of affluence and a place of position and power and all of that safety. He gave up virtually everything to follow Jesus. And look at how he described that when he thought about that or how he reflected on it. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, I consider everything, all this stuff I've given up, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what he cared about. More than anything else about knowing Jesus, for whose sake he had lost all these things. In fact, he called them all garbage because he wanted to know Christ Jesus. In verse 10, he goes on to say, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Jesus was not part of Paul's life. Jesus was Paul's life. Not part of. He was his life. He was his whole life. Paul didn't like Jesus. Paul loved Jesus with everything he had. How about Peter? We just finished a series through the book of 1 Peter. 2 Peter, toward the end of that, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter says this to all of us, great admonition. He says, but grow in the grace 
and knowledge, knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. When he says grow in the knowledge of, he's not talking about knowledge about. He's talking about the knowledge of. You grow in knowledge of somebody by being in relationship with them. And that's what Peter's saying is so essential, so significant, so important, so foundational. One more. How about the perfect example, the ultimate example? That would be, of course, anything that Jesus said or modeled for us. He said in a prayer, Almighty God and He are talking. He's talking to His heavenly Father. And in John 17, Jesus words it like this. He says now, this is His prayer. Now this is eternal life that they, meaning you and me, and all of those who follow Him, that they, say it with me, know you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Friends, my personal prayer is the same prayer I would pray over you, that we all understand the difference between liking God and loving God. I think it's one of the real... Um, struggles in our country, in our culture. It's easy to, it's getting less this way all the time as the fire gets turned up a little hotter all the time. But it's easy, too easy, I think, in our country to just like God, to go through the motion, to think of it like Staples commercials, the easy button, right? Or to coast in our relationship with God. Think about coasting, though. I've said this before, but think about it. The only way to coast is to go what way? Downhill, downhill. Jesus wants us to understand this in a spiritual sense and not coast, to not allow these thoughts in our mind. You know, I heard at that um, conference we were at a couple of weeks ago, Chip Ingram quoted a survey that had been done. I don't have the data with me, so I don't remember where it came from. But a survey that had been done with, I think he said, thousands of pastors across our country. Pastors. Thousands. And he found, and this just broke my heart, he found that only 21% of pastors in our country, 21%, one out of five, 21% ever opened the Bible except for sermon development. In other words, four out of five, 79%, four out of five only open the Bible when they're working on a sermon. I just thought, wow, wow. Now, before I look down my nose and think poorly of others, I have been there and done that in the past, but praise God, that's been a long time ago. And I encourage all of you to think about and consider the power of this holy book that you have in front of you, whether it be on the screen or in the seats there in front of you, or if you brought it with you, or you have it sitting by your nightstand at home, or wherever it is. The incredible opportunity that God is calling to you, begging you to come and spend time with Him, to not coast in your walk with him but to say wow he's written that for me for me of course i want to read it i want to turn off the silly tv that doesn't matter or whatever else that tends to get in the way and say oh dear god yes speak to me let's develop this relationship it's a love letter written from him to you so when we talk about how we get to this place of loving god rather than just liking him let me share with you a few scriptures. God tells us in Jeremiah 29, kind of to some degree maybe answering the, the, the question, how do, we, how do we seek you? How do we really know you, God? How, do, how does this happen? 
Well, God said this, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not with most of your heart. Not with some of your heart, but with all your heart. We see that concept, all your heart, over and over in Scripture. Seek him with all your heart. With, don't, don't like me, Jesus said. Don't do it. I don't want you to like me like you like your ice cream or your dog. I want you to love me. There needs to be a difference. All your heart. Similar to Proverbs, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Or what did Jesus say when he was talking to that Pharisee? First and greatest commandment is to love the Lord with what? All your heart. Not most or some, all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. James tells us to come near to God and he will come near to you. If you feel like there's distance between you and God, it's not because he's gone anywhere. It's because you have failed to pick up his love letter. It's, it's because you failed to tap into the source that he wants uh, to give you in terms of his relationship. R- Colossians 3, God tells us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Similarly, in 2 Corinthians 4, we read, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Romans 10 tells us, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. You want to have faith? You want to develop that relationship? It's through God's Word that that happens. I wrote something called the M&M Plan, and um, it's just a, a devotional. It's one of probably countless ways to get into God's Word. It's a beautiful way. Uh, God's Word is a beautiful thing, and there are countless ways to get into it, and I want to encourage you to do that. That particular thing that I wrote, which you can pick up if you want. A lot of you are doing it. We've been do- talking about it a lot this year. They've been available. We sold out of them. We bought some more. There's more of them. I got some up here. There's some out in the foyer as well. Um, but anyway, it's based on an analogy that you see twice in Scripture, at least twice. The beginning of Psalms, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of the book. And then again later in Jeremiah 17, we read um, a very similar uh, verbiage, a, a, um, an analogy that's used twice. And basically, it goes the same way both times. Blessed is the man who does not, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, who, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on his word, he meditates day and night. And he, therefore, becomes like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, and it's and his leaf does not wither, and all he does prospers. And Jeremiah words very similar. He says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends down its roots to the streams. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit because it is plugged into the source of power. It That person, or in the analogy, the tree is plugged into what really matters. We need to meditate on God's Word. His Word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path, we read in Psalms 119. And that same chapter tells us, I have hidden hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So that's where I get the concept, to memorize, I've hidden it in my heart. Memorize it and meditate on it. Spend time in God's Word. Some of you say, well, I'm too busy to do it. I mean, that's great for pastors and people that maybe are retired and have more time than me or something along that line. But I don't have time for that. And yet I would tell you, well, then look at Luke chapter 5, verse 16, when the Bible tells us, but Jesus, even Jesus, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
If Jesus, who is Almighty God in the flesh, God with us, if He is deity and yet He spent time alone in a devotional time, praying, memorizing Scripture, he, he quoted Scripture all the time whenever He was tempted and in other places as well. If Jesus, who is deity, did that, who are you, who am I to ever think, well, I'm too busy, I don't have time, it's not a high enough priority for me. Wow. Even Jesus spent time. So, to love Him requires us to first know Him. And to know Him is to remember things like Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, but hearing by the Word of God. We've got to spend time in His Word. And we get busy, especially come Thanksgiving time, come Christmas time. We're so busy. Hey, Lord, I'm so busy celebrating and enjoying all these things that you've allowed us to do. I don't have time to spend time in the Word. I, I might maybe come New Year's resolu resolution time, but... Not right now. We can't go there. We can't go there. We've got to say, Lord, help me to understand what you want me to understand. To remember that we need to be in relationship with you. Again, remembering that he, Romans 5 tells us that at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for us, the ungodly. And he demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for you and me. If he can die for us, surely we can live for him and honor him. Pick up the Bible and spend time with it. Find a way to carve out. If you're too busy, then you're too busy. Let go of something else. Cut out the, you don't need to know what's in the news that badly. You don't need to read the forecast for the weather that badly. You don't need to, there's a long list. You don't even need to br br brush your teeth that badly. You need to spend time with the Lord. More than you need to brush your teeth. I hope you can do both though. It's really important to do both. But think about that today and remember that Jesus doesn't want us to like him. He wants us to love him and he wants to be our first domino. Now, if we do that, I guarantee you everything else will fall in line. Now, maybe not the way you wanted, maybe not the way you envisioned, but in his perfect timing, in his perfect way, he will make sure that all these things will be given us as well. If we, what did he say in Matthew 6? If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, building our house and our life on the solid rock foundation of His truth, rather than the sands of our own plans, our own thoughts. I want to spend the time we have left. We have four or five minutes left. And I want to ask you to pray with me. A little different than what we normally do. Let me tell you this. We have um, 28, by my account, 28 people from our church family that are on mission trips right now. As most of you know, we have seven people that are giving up most of the month of Thanksgiving to be in Thailand helping young ladies who are needing to be freed from the sex trade industry. It's a horrific situation that they're going and trying to be part of over there and helping those over there. There are seven people doing that. We had 20 people leave yesterday and that are crossing the border today into Mexico, into Juarez, to build a house for a needy family and to deliver over 1,000 pounds of food that we came together and packaged last week, 60 or 70, maybe 80 of us were here last Sunday afternoon, and we packaged over 1,000 pounds of food, put that in the trailer yesterday, and they're taking it down and giving it to Tony, the Mexico pastor that we work with, who is going to distribute that in the name of Jesus, share the love of Jesus with others at Thanksgiving time. The family's going to build a house for a needy family, and then they're going to, uh, the very first meal in that house will be on Thursday with our 20 people, plus this family of, I think, eight people that live there, and they will have Thanksgiving this year, this Thursday, together, praising God and thanking God for who Jesus is 
and for the provision of that house for that family. And then we also have one more young man named Levi Corbett, who's, I think, in Botswana um, on his missionary uh, 11-month thing that he's a part of with the world race. So that's 28, by my count, of people that are seeing themselves as missionaries today, and we have a lot to be grateful for. They recognize that, and that's why they're going and sharing. I'd like to, in the few minutes we have left, I'd like to ask you to help me pray out loud. And I want to do it Mexico style. Every time I go to Mexico and we pray, I'll ask Tony, I go, all right, can we pray about, you know, whatever the topic is at the moment. Maybe it's for the meal or maybe it's for the giving the house keys to the new family or whatever it is. And he says, yes. And so his way of always leading us to pray is, you ready? And we all just pray at the same time, all 30 of us or whatever. And just assume for good reason, of course, that God can sort all that out and hear everybody at the same time. It doesn't matter if we talk on top of each other. That's the way they do it. And then, uh, and then at the end, Tony gets really loud, says, amen, and everybody knows, okay, now we're finally done. Okay, it's a really cool way of praying. Well, we don't have to do it exactly that way, but here's what I want to do. And just for a couple of minutes, I'd like to ask if you would stand with me, and here's what I want us to do. I want us to finish this sentence, thank you, Lord, for, thank you, Lord, for, and then you fill in the blank. And let's just spend some time. And if you talk on top of somebody else, that's fine. If you just shout it out loud and we're one at a time, that's fine. But however you want to do it. But let's, as the band comes and we're going to sing together about how great our God is in just a moment. But before we sing the song, can we just pray out loud? Let me start it with the first sentence and then you jump in and say it out loud. And again, if you say it on top of somebody else, that's fine. But let's say it together. Finish the sentence and I'll start. Thank you, Lord. For Jesus, most of all, thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior.